Pelvic Posse, and welcome to the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. It's Amanda and Morgan. We have helped thousands of people with pelvic floor issues, and it's totally our jam. Here you can listen to expert interviews encompassing all things related to pelvic health. That is pee, poop, sex, and everything in between. You have a pelvic floor. Yes, you. We all do. And it's time to start talking about issues that may arise, but more importantly, how to improve them. We are so glad you are here to join us. Now let's head into this week's episode of the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. Hey, Pelvic Posse. This episode is sponsored by the Spark It Up in the Bedroom Challenge. If you are dealing with pain with intercourse, yes, that's a thing. I can tell you that's a thing because I dealt with that in my early 20s. Then this five-day challenge is for you. Over the course of the five days, you will learn all the things to improve pain with intercourse. So you can go from Netflix and with your partner to Netflix and chill. Speaking of partner, bring them along and they can watch the Zoom calls with you and learn all the things. Now let's get back to today's episode. Hi guys, it's Empower Your Pelvis and we are here with Dr. Jordan Wiggins and we are so excited to have her as part of our Empowered in the Bedroom series to give us more expert advice on what's going on or might be going on in the bedroom. So Jordan, why don't you go ahead and get started and share a little bit about yourself, what you do and a little history on how you got there. Sure. Thanks so much for having me. We'll dive right in and tell you the story of how I became the pleasure doctor, which was not by choice because I did not think I would be having a career where I talk about, you know, vulvas and sexual function and desire all day. But But I love it. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Just like you ladies and what you do. It's amazing work and much needed. So Two things sort of happened in my career. In my pre-med degree, I had a really bad depression. I kind of hit this roadblock and would cycle between feeling very, very anxious and really, really low mood, which in a nutshell turned out to be a hormone imbalance that I had. So I'd sort of lost my libido at that point in my life and needed to rebalance my hormones to get it back. I also had pelvic floor dysfunction, which was undiagnosed for five or six years. I'd been to every specialist under the sun, internalist, sports medicine doctors, um, and no one could really figure out where this pain was coming from until I found a pelvic floor physiotherapist years later on my own, which saved my life um, and my relationships because I was having like really painful sex at the time. So sort of two angles for me losing my libido. One was the desire mental health portion and one was more of a structural functional issue. And what I noticed is at those times in my life, when I was sort of struggling with my sexual health, there was a lot of other issues coming up um, in relation to my health as a whole. So I started to realize that It wasn't just me. This is one in two women suffering with sexual dysfunction in their lifetime, which is a massive stat that we are not talking about. Yeah, it's really hush hush. I didn't realize it was that high. I mean, I love, I love that it's being reported because I think even 10 years ago, it was like one in seven women. I'm like, people just aren't talking about it. And exactly. I think one in two is underreported. As well. 
in in my experience, it that is because we don't want to raise our hands and say, you know, I have a problem or there's so much shame around it. And I'm sure with pelvic floor physio, you both see this daily. Uh-huh. And, and it hits at different times of their life too, whether it's, you know, at the beginning of their relationship or postpartum or menopausal. I mean, some of them may just haven't had that issue yet, or you know what I mean? So that's interesting. It, exactly. And yeah, it's one in two women in their lifetime, like you said, and globally. So this does not matter, you know, religion, sexual orientation, any of it. This is a big, big problem that we're not talking about. And it's really hard to find resources. Absolutely. So one of the things we were, you know, creeping on your Instagram and finding that you have so many good resources for followers, clients, potential patients and whatnot. And we wanted to ask you a little bit about the mismatched libido that you post about here and there about and correct me if I'm wrong, but more meeting between partners and how to navigate that. Can you expand on that a little bit? For sure. So this is a huge, huge issue that I'm seeing in relationships of any kind, um, marriages, or even sometimes people that are dating. And a mismatch libido is when one partner has higher drive than the other partner. And we see it create tons of issues because the higher drive partner feels rejected. Um, Like their advances and their needs aren't being met. So they can have, you know, some anger, frustration and feel bad. Like, you know, why aren't you attracted to me um, the way I'm attracted to you? And then the low drive partner feels a lot of shame and guilt. Like they're not showing up um, how they want to for their partner. So what I hear so often from women, and I bet that you hear this too, is women will say, you know, I don't have any desire to have sex. I don't care if I ever have sex again, but I need to fix this because it's ruining my relationship. Right. Right. That's almost identical to a patient I had last week. Yeah. And this, you know, it's a multifactorial problem because we want to look at what is the cause of the low drive partner? Is it pelvic floor pain? Like, do they have pain with sex? Because who would want to have sex if it hurts? (laughs) Um, Is there a hormone imbalance going on creating, you know, dryness or other desire issue? And what is a bigger function of the relationship and the mindset around sex? Is there not enough communication? Are you doing a ton of work around the house or in the partnership that you're not recognized for and you're starting to feel a little resentful, like we call that the invisible workload? Um, So, you know, what's going on, sort of what's the cause? That's kind of where we want to start and investigate with mismatched libidos, but it's a common thing. And especially at different stages of life, right? Pregnancy, menopause, we can see these issues creep up or they're more exacerbated at those times. So it's, uh, in my opinion, important that we're having these conversations and have resources to help couples or partners through them. Absolutely. Do you typically see ask both partners to come in when you are seeing them for mismatched libido? 
I'm this, and this is a little contrary thing, but I am generally starting with the female um, and working with her for 12 weeks initially, and then working with the couple as a unit. And the reason being, and we could talk forever just about this topic, but the sex that we're taught and like how we're educated, cultural beliefs, the movies. Um, and I'm sure you see that this is actually damaging with pelvic floor health as well, that, you know, you work all day, you make dinner, you catch eyes with your partner and you have a little bit of foreplay and you're supposed to be like, just ready to have sex kind of thing. And I'm, I know with pelvic floor dysfunction, this can be a, it's a huge problem. It's a really damaging belief um, because women's bodies don't work that way for the most part. We don't have spontaneous desire. We have um, when we're in a sexually explicit context and we're relaxed and things like then desire kind of blossoms from there for the majority of women. So Oh, yeah, like responsive desire. Okay. Where we want to be so many other factors are at play like stress response, hormones, communication in a relationship, all these things play a role in whether we're ready to have sex or not. And most men, and these are generalizations, like it's statistics, it's researched generalizations. It doesn't have to be applicable, but when we're talking about overwhelming majorities of men can, they have spontaneous desire. They can be at work and think about sex and want to have sex, be able to, um, much more quickly than women for the most part. And hmm. super interesting. Cause I mean, I, and I think most of our clients and patients would totally agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And when you, so, and this contributes to the mismatched libidos, because if you have a partner that is like, I'm ready, let's do this. And then you have a partner that's like, well, wait a second, I'm looking at the piles of laundry on the floor and I didn't get to this, this, and this on my to-do list. Um, And we're not, we don't work the same way and we're expected to work the same way, but it, that creates a problem in and of itself with that expectation. So I think if we allowed women's bodies to work like women's bodies and didn't try and make it like a man's body, it would be a lot easier for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Taking more time. Yeah. Um, I've got a gosh, I got so many things I want to ask. Um, let's go into like postpartum. So your 10 weeks. Um, we see a lot of patients in the postpartum realm, but also women who feel more stressed and guilty that they're not having sex at six weeks postpartum. But then you're also dealing with so many other hormone issues. So I feel like an sleep exhaustion, like so many women play into this, right? Um, that I'm just curious, like any advice that you can give our postpartum women with returning to intercourse um, maybe signs to pay attention to with maybe when they should get their hormones looked at, or if it's a hormone issue versus not a hormone issue, but that it's truly like breastfeeding because of breastfeeding. We'll say. Okay. Yeah. And that's the, the other thing. So if you're breastfeeding, then these hormone issues can persist for longer. So we do expect that when we're breastfeeding, we will have lower estrogen 
And that can lead to vaginal dryness and not as much sexual desire. However, and I feel like I'm always saying, there's more, there's more. This is a multifactorial issue, um, which is also why there's no little pink pill. We also need to look at, there is so many things that have changed in the postpartum period. Our, our bodies are different. How things feel sexually can be different. The demands on our time, the stress and guilt of motherhood, because that was a massive one for me. Um, just the things that come up of, oh my goodness, is, you know, am I producing enough milk? Is why is she crying? Am I doing something wrong? It was just like I was constantly blaming myself for all of these things that were completely normal. But that stress, guilt, time demand, everything that's going to increase stress will put the brakes on libido. So there is a hormonal piece, but there's also this massive mental emotional piece that I don't think we talk about. And I think I really needed to experience for myself. I understood and I'd had, you know, thousands of patients tell me the rage and the tears and the joy and just the emotional roller coaster that postpartum is. But really going through it and going, okay, wow, I was not prepared, even though I thought I was pretty prepared with my education and treating women's health issues for years. But we need to talk and give each other grace and let it be okay. Because I don't think this six-week timeline to return to sex is... I think it's useless in a way. Um, Any other injury that we would have to the body, there would be a rehab period, right? You're, I don't know, like a football player and you blow out your shoulder or something. Yeah, there would be some, you'd get some, you'd get an assessment, you get some exercises, you would be saying like, you know, okay, I think I'm feeling better today or it wouldn't just be this arbitrary six-week timeline, okay, go thing. (laughs) And then um, our partners are just like, woo, let's do it. Because I don't think that's (laughs) a great way to approach returning to sex postpartum. Definitely, we want to be assessed by our healthcare providers to make sure that we're all healed, there's no infection, anything like that. But I think we should have some kind of graduated system where language, yeah, (laughs) where we're saying, you know, touching ourselves, like even just our vulva externally, is this painful? Because if that's painful, then you know, penetration is sure going to be painful. Um, And really seeing, I'm all about checking things out for yourself first. Get a mirror try and have an orgasm. Is it painful? Like, you know, how are things going? Which is, you know, self-pleasure in and of itself is a huge topic with so much shame and all of that. But try things out first, because I think that if we have agency and we know ourselves and that hurts, this feels good, it's so much easier to communicate that to your partner. And sort of, I think there's 
a couple things with this. And I've been asking a lot of partners as well. So I think there's this whole, you know, hot dog down a hallway situation, or we feel so much shame about if a baby's passed through our birth canal, that things are going to feel totally different um, for our partner. So a lot of time we're even considering how our partner's feeling and we're not even in our own experience. We're not even able to relax and experience pleasure because we're so much, Oh, you know, my body's not quite back to the way it was. And is this feeling okay? Or am I totally ruined now? So it's, it's so multifactorial, but to return to sex postpartum, get the okay from pelvic floor PT, your OB midwives, like whoever your healthcare team is and explore a bit yourself first to see if there's pain and then try things with a partner. And I would really recommend like going slow, pretend like you're in high school again, you know, (laughs) where you're just kind of like figuring things out, fooling around a bit. It doesn't need to be this like, you know, porn scene when you're returning to sex because it's probably going to be a little painful. I love that because we do like we were both we've been in orthopedics before jumping into pelvic health and you do like you okay today we're gonna with a shoulder injury like we're gonna throw a ball at 25% and then okay that's feeling pretty good okay 50% 75% 100% and sex you can't really knock that down to like 25% because that's a you know an ebb and flow thing and you're not in control of it. But if it is coming down to pleasure that you're controlling your own pleasure and orgasm, I think that's huge. Because I've said that multiple times, like, why are we not starting with like a vibrator or yourself? Um, And we talk to our patients all the time about getting them near and really touching. So I love, love that, that you are touching on that with your clients and patients as well. So thank you. For sure. Yeah. And sending at all of them to pelvic floor physios. (laughs) Right. I think it's such a like scary like almost beast for some providers too, because it opens up so many questions. If you were to tell a patient like, Oh, go do this. They'd be like, why am I supposed to do? Well, no one's told me. Whereas, you know, and they only have five minutes with their physician or whatever. Mm -hmm. And just to hopefully, you know, like you said, always open up the conversation. And we have these conversations with our patients, but most times than not, patients are and clients are, you can tell they've never heard that. They've never heard someone tell them that. I've been told that it's okay yeah. not to have sex at six weeks postpartum. Um, you can just see the guilt. Every, I like at, We ask the question and you can just see it come across mm-hmm. their face. I'm like, number one, I'm not judging. I'm just asking so I can chart it and know what's going on. Because um, I didn't. I didn't with any of them. I was coming off the C-sections and had the little smiley face. And so for me, it was that mental of like, you know, is he looking at this smile or this smile? Which one is he, is he focused on? Like, so I, I never want to judge any one of our patients with it. And I think the more that we can be upfront and honest with it, that, you know, sex is an athletic event and doesn't need to be done at a hundred percent full force. I think mentally and more relationships even would probably be better postpartum, but that's just my theory. Absolutely. I agree completely with relationships. Cause I felt, um, I love that you touch in on relationships versus roommate because I felt since my husband and I, and again, I've been through the postpartum thing three times. So it was different with each one, but we did have this, like, I felt like we were roommates together trying to conquer everything that was new with baby. And we had a hard time reconnecting um, 
So for other clients that you see maybe feeling that same way, what do you suggest? I, I've been living this one the last 10 weeks. <laughs> um, and it's just always a good reminder for me to kind of check into what like practice what I'm preaching kind of thing. So I suggest starting with really small ways to connect. Uh, and this can be, I like bookending our days with things that will release oxytocin, the connection hormone. And I know a lot of women will try and avoid like hugging for too long or doing a kiss that feels too deep because they think that that's going to make their partner want to have sex. But it's important to kind of have a chat about this at the beginning and put it in context where these things are just about connecting. So when your partner leaves for work, which I found was a time that was kind of hard for me because I was like, wait a second, like you get to go and go to work and I'm here changing diapers. And, and, and plus I just felt so much safer when he was home in those first few weeks. This was my first. Um, so when he was leaving, we'd hug and a hug that lasts longer than 20 seconds is releases oxytocin, the connection hormone for both parties. And then when he'd come home, same thing. I think a lot of us, um, it's so easy to get caught up in our days. Maybe somebody's making dinner, like with kids or not with kids, but somebody's making dinner. We got this going on. Somebody's got to go to, well, I guess pre-COVID, somebody had to go to practice, but um, we stop what we're doing and we connect, hold hands, kiss, touch something. And it's just for a couple minutes, but at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, it really fosters that connection in a relationship when things can feel so chaotic. And that kind of ritual is amazing in a relationship and intimacy dates or sex dates. This might um, scheduled time on the calendar for the couple. We have this myth that sex is supposed to be spontaneous And if you're waiting for that to happen, if you have three kids or you're busy, you're going to be waiting a long time. (laughs) Right. So we need time on the calendar to connect. And it doesn't mean, and this is like what I'm working with women all the time. We're teaching them like, this is all the things that self-pleasure can be. This is all the things that an intimacy date can be. It doesn't mean that you're taking off your clothes and jumping in bed because maybe that's not what you both need right now in that moment. Maybe you just need to have a nice dinner with some peace and quiet and your phones are away. And we give our clients like conversation topics to talk about because, you know, money, the kids, the stress of the pandemic with everyone at home. Um, Like those can be stressors. They can kind of pull you apart or get you to talk about and like argue with things, but we want to talk about things like, tell me what you thought about me when we first met or a quality that I admire about you is. I love it when you make my coffee in the morning because it lets me know you care. Like we want to be just structuring this time for the couple to connect and then that kind of gets things started and gets them sparked for intimacy. Well said, because that was the next thing we wanted to touch on. So I love that you went straight into it. Um, 
Another thing that we noticed was that you have a pleasure boot camp. And some, I think that's coming up here February 1st. February 1st to 5th, 12 p.m. Eastern every day. We are talking myth busting, talking about all this stuff and basically how to get your desire back when you've lost it. And where is that? Is that on Instagram or is that on Facebook? That's on Facebook. Um, Yeah. So Facebook every day, 12 p.m. Eastern free to join. It's amazing. I, I love it. Like I love doing this because the information is so hard to find. And when I get all these direct messages afterwards, it's like my libido is higher than it's been in 18 years. And thank you so much. My husband loves you. Like it's, yeah, it's just so, so rewarding to be able to do a boot camp that's addressing what these fundamental issues are and giving women a chance to work on these things in relationships that they either like didn't know existed or didn't know where to access the information. That's cool. Absolutely. We'll have to definitely work. So where can they find this? If they go to your website, Instagram, the best place to find me, I'm most active on Instagram at Dr. Jordan Wiggins. Um, The links in my bio there. And you can, I think on Facebook, you can just type in pleasure mindset bootcamp and it, it comes up, but definitely direct message me. I answer all of them. It'll take me, it might take me a couple of days, but I will get to it. And I'm happy to point you in the direction of the bootcamp or any other resources that you need for this stuff. That's awesome. Because I feel like that could be such a great way for people to bridge the gap who maybe aren't you know, ready to see someone in person or they're not sure how to address this, but this would make them feel comfortable and open up lots of topics and questions. So that's awesome. Yeah. Great point. There's so much, even people at the beginning were like, I don't even want to join a Facebook group that has the title of that has pleasure in it. And it's like, you need to, if that's (laughs) how you feel, this is the group that you need. (laughs) Yeah, That's awesome. Well, Dr. Jordan Wiggins, this has been a pleasure having you on here. We truly appreciate it. I know a lot of our clients that are purchasing this program are going to learn a ton. So um, I'm excited for them to start following you as well to learn, continue to learn more. Yes. Thank you for all your info. This is great. Thank so you applicable. so much for having me and spreading the word about pelvic health. I love, love what you ladies do. Hey, Pelvic Posse, we want to thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Empower Your Pelvis podcast. Can we ask you a couple of favors, please? Number one, can you like and subscribe to this podcast so that you will continue to empower your pelvis forever so that you will never miss out? Number two, can you leave us a rating and a review? Tell them how amazing we are and everything that you have learned about your pelvic health. And then number three, if you haven't seen the video version to this podcast, you can go over to youtube.com forward slash C forward slash empower your pelvis for all of our visual learners out there. We have all types of great visuals in there for you to not only listen to, but to watch. Thanks so much again and make sure to give your pelvis some love. Until next time, peace Peace out, out pelvic posse.